Is God's foreknowledge compatible with human freedom? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, February the 18th of 2009, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logston, and welcome to our next lesson in our Knowing God series. And of course, the purpose of this series is to know God. What we're doing is we are looking at the attributes of God and the things that we know about God as revealed in both Scripture and nature. So anyway, welcome you guys. I'm so glad to have you guys along. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, actually, today uh, I am planning on going fishing. So I'm putting this up on the website early today uh, so that I can go fishing today. I haven't gone fishing here in Arkansas at all, but this is supposed to be one of the better places in the nation to go fishing. So uh, yeah, we'll see about that. But Anyway, I do have a couple announcements to get out of the way before we get started. First of all, I'm just asking you guys to pray. To pray for Brian and me. We're moving forward with our church plant, and we're actually going to be starting a study group uh, with a really ethnically diverse group of folks. We've got uh, some uh, some Laotians, Hispanics, African Americans, so a, a very, very diverse group of people, and we're excited about that. But we're actually looking at moving forward with the church plant by starting this study on um, John Eldridge's book called Epic. And uh, if you guys haven't heard of that, it's a fantastic book, very evangelistic. And uh, so anyway, we, we really would appreciate your prayers as we move forward with this. As you guys know, this has been a, a big work that um, that we've been, uh, you know, striving towards for the past almost a year. No, it's been a year. It's been over a year since Brian and I started talking about um, planning this church. So here we are, a little bit more than a year later, and getting ready to take our first baby step here. And also, we still are in need of financial support. Uh, this is just like going on a mission, basically. So uh, if the Lord is calling you to support what we're doing here in Northwest Arkansas, we are still in need of financial support. So if God's leading you to do that, if God's leading you to support what we're doing, uh, you can get in touch with me, or what you can do is go to BibleStudyPodcast.org, and at the top, there's a contact button, and uh, that'll take you through the whole process. But you can get in touch with me, and uh, let me know if that's something that the Lord has put on your heart. And of course, all donations are tax deductible. So anyway, God bless you guys. So glad to have you guys here today. Let's go ahead and get started because we do have a lot to cover today. But let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for making yourself known. And we thank you for drawing us closer to you and opening yourself up to us so that we can get to know you better. Lord, I am firmly convinced that to know you is to love you, and to become like you, we have to understand you. So, Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's lesson is actually on one of the more controversial attributes of God, that is, his omniscience. You know, Once upon a time, a long time ago, it was an attribute of God, which nobody ever really questioned. It was kind of accepted without a whole lot of deliberation. 
The times have changed, however, and God's omniscience is being challenged both from the outside of the Christian faith and from within. There will definitely be a handful of objections for us to consider and to respond to, but we can't do that without first understanding what omniscience is and what biblical support there is for it. We'll also need to consider whether the attributes of God that we've covered make God's omniscience a necessary attribute, and we'll take a look at what the church has historically uh, affirmed or posited in regards to God's omniscience. So, first, let's start with the definition. What does it mean when we say that God is omniscient? Well, historically, it has always meant that God is all-knowing, that he knows everything, whether it's in the past, in the present, or in the future. God is all-knowing. And further, it has always meant that God knows both the actual and the possible. The only things which would be considered to be uh, outside of God's knowledge would be the things that are logically contradictory and thus logically impossible, such as a spherical square or a one-ended stick, etc., things like that. But, you know, now that we've established a working definition and an understanding of what it means when we attribute omniscience to God, let's take a look at what Scripture teaches us about God's omniscience, or his all-knowing nature. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Well, let me ask you this. How would God know every inclination of the thoughts of a person's heart? Well, only if he has knowledge of all things. Thus, God's omniscience is very strongly implied here in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. But, of course, that is not all the, the evidence that we've got. We've got a ton here, so let's, let's get going. Uh, next, Job asks the redundant question, Can anyone teach God knowledge? That's what we find in Job chapter 21, verse 22. And, of course, the answer, because this is a redundant question, the answer is an implied no. Further down the line, we read Elihu saying to Job, in reference to God's presence with Job, Be assured that my words are not false. One perfect in knowledge is with you. Did you catch that? One perfect in knowledge is with you. That's from Job chapter 36, verse 4. And then in Job chapter 37, verse 16, we read, Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of the one perfect in knowledge? I don't know about you guys, but I'm sensing a minor theme here in the book of Job, uh, God's omniscience. Okay, so let's move on past Job. In Psalm chapter 139, verses 2 through 4, we read, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. And even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. And you would think that this verse would uh, would seal the deal, would close the case about God's knowledge, his omniscience, wouldn't you? In Psalm 147, verse 5, the psalmist writes, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. In proclaiming his superiority over false gods and issuing the people a challenge to test their false gods against him, God declares, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure." 
That's from Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. In other words, one of the more obvious attributes of God that sets him apart from false gods is his perfect knowledge of all things, his omniscience, because no false god could possibly declare the end from the beginning. And similarly, God declares in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 9, See the former things which have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So, moving to the New Testament, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Paul writes, O the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, we read that nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So clearly, there is a ton of support here. There is abundant support for the notion that God has perfect knowledge of all things past, present, and future. We have plenty of support here for God's omniscience. And add to this the fact that one of the tests for a prophet of God is that the things that they foretell of must come to pass. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, God proclaims that, quote, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So if the future events foretold by the prophet didn't transpire, then that meant that that person was a false prophet. Perfection, 100% accuracy, is the standard for God's prophets. And the only way that a prophet could accurately foretell the future is if God has perfect and complete knowledge of the future. And further, the Bible teaches that God is perfect and cannot make mistakes. That's what we find in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, and in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. The Bible also teaches that everything in Scripture is God-breathed, and so therefore God must have perfect omniscience, including knowledge of future free acts, because the Bible is filled from the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation with predictions that God has made about past, present, and future things and events. And so thus we see that Scripture does indeed support the belief that God has perfect omniscience, that he has perfect knowledge of all things. Now, if it's true that God has perfect knowledge of all things, we should expect it to not only complement his other attributes perfectly, but also to be necessarily in accordance with his other attributes. So let's take a look at those. First of all, we've already established in this study that God is infinite. And if you missed that study, be sure to go back and, and check that out. But, you know, in fact, there's little question among Christians and other theists in general that God is infinite. And we've also established that God is simple. Again, if you didn't catch that study, go back and, and review that. Uh, when we say that God is simple, we mean that he doesn't have parts or pieces. So anyway, if God is both simple and infinite, then his essence is identical to his nature. In other words, what he has is what he is. And so therefore, God's knowledge is identical to his nature, since knowledge is an essential attribute of God. And because God's knowledge must be in accordance with his nature, and because God is infinite, the necessary conclusion is that God has infinite knowledge. 
If God is not infinite in knowledge, then he's limited in knowledge. And if God is not infinite in knowledge, then he's not infinite in being. He's indeed infinite in being nature and essence, however, and therefore he's infinite in knowledge. If God is not limited in his knowledge, then his knowledge must include all things, both potential and actual, including all future things and events. So therefore, God's uh, God's omniscience flows necessarily from his simplicity and from his infinity. Secondly, God's immutability leads to the necessary conclusion that God has perfect knowledge of all things, that God is omniscient. If God could learn, he would necessarily change, because we change when we learn. But scripture affirms that God doesn't change. And the fact that he's pure actuality negates the possibility of God changing, because with a Uh, being with pure actuality, there's no potential for change. And so thus, in accordance with God's immutability and pure actuality, he must know all things. Third, God's eternality leads to the necessary conclusion that God is omniscient. Because God is eternal, his perspective is eternal, and thus it's non-temporal. If God is eternal, then he's not within time. If God is not within time, however, his knowledge can't be based on the passing of things and events because his knowledge is not limited by time. And so therefore, in accordance with God's eternality, God must necessarily have omniscience. And of course, you know, while tradition doesn't have the authority that scripture itself has, it's still important to examine the things that the Christian faith has historically affirmed about God. Irenaeus, for example, he affirmed God's omniscience, writing in the second century that, quote, God, knowing the number of those who will not believe, since he foreknows all things, has given them over to unbelief and turned away his face from men of this stamp, leaving them in the darkness which they have themselves chosen for themselves, end quote. And then Tertullian, he wrote in the early third century that, quote, it was by this very attribute that he foreknew all things when he appointed them their places, and appointed them their places when he foreknew them, end quote. Well, one of Tertullian's uh, contemporaries, his name was Hippolytus, he wrote that God is, quote, fully acquainted with whatever is about to take place, for foreknowledge also is present to him. End quote. And then Augustine wrote that God, quote, comprehends all that takes place in time, the not yet existing future, the existing present, and the no longer existing past, in an immutable and eternal present. He further noted that his knowledge of what happens in time, like his movement of what changes in time, is completely independent of time. And then writing about the compatibility of God's perfect foreknowledge and mankind's free will, Augustine wrote that, quote, we are by no means under compulsion to abandon free choice in favor of divine foreknowledge, nor need we deny, God forbid, that God knows the future as a condition for holding free choice. And it was for that reason that Augustine noted that, quote, hence a man does not sin because God foreknew that he would sin. Nay, it cannot be doubted but that it is the man himself who sins when he does sin, because he whose foreknowledge is infallible foreknew that the man himself would sin, who, if he wills not, sins not. But if he shall not will to sin, even this did God foreknow.
And Anselm wrote something similar. He wrote that, quote, God, who foresees what you are willingly going to do, foreknows that your will is not compelled or prevented by anything else. Hence, this activity of the will is free, end quote. And therefore, according to Anselm, to foreknow something implies that a thing is going to happen, end quote. However, he notes that, quote, although he, that is God, foreknows all future events, nevertheless, he does not foreknow every future event as occurring by necessity. He foreknows that some things are going to occur through the free will of rational creatures, end quote. And further, quote, he sees only what is true, whether this results from necessity or from freedom, end quote. And I hope you're catching on to the fact that what we're seeing here is that there is indeed a compatibility between God's knowledge and mankind's freedom, according to Anselm and according to Augustine and also according to Aquinas. So let's discuss what Thomas Aquinas said, since he's my favorite theologian after Paul. Uh, Aquinas presented uh, an even more complex argument, as you might expect, because that was kind of typical for him. According to Aquinas, God is the efficient cause of all things. Well, in other words, we would say that he is the cause of all effects, okay? And all effects, according to Aquinas, pre-exist in their efficient cause. And so, therefore, the necessary conclusion is that because God is the efficient cause of all things, he's the efficient cause of all effects, uh, all effects, therefore, must pre-exist in him, Further, God knows himself perfectly, according to Aquinas, and therefore the conclusion is that God must have perfect knowledge of whatever exists or transpires because all things pre-exist in him. So according to Aquinas, in his own words then, what he wrote was, quote, God knows contingent things not successively as they are in their own being as we do, but simultaneously, end quote. In other words, he doesn't see one event happen after another in succession. He sees everything simultaneously. And the reason is because his knowledge is measured by eternity, as it is also his being. And eternity, being simultaneously whole, comprises all time according to Aquinas. And I realize that a lot of this will just kind of sound like a bunch of philosophical mumbo-jumbo, but if you go back and go over it enough, I do promise you that this will start to make perfect sense. Uh, the Reformation leaders apparently went over it enough because they taught the same thing. Uh, for example, Martin Luther wrote that God, quote, foreknows nothing contingently, but that he foresees purposes and does all things according to his own immutable eternal and infallible will, end quote. And of course, when, when Martin Luther, uh, in, this, in this context, when he's using the word contingent, he was actually referring to human actions that are independent and distinct from the things that God determined or uh, decided that they must occur. Uh, so, of course, you know, we usually spend the, the final portion of each lesson discussing some of the you know, main objections to the attribute that we've established. But as I noted at the beginning of this lesson, this is an extremely controversial subject among current theologians and philosophers alike. And so therefore, so that we don't have to scrimp on the objections, because I don't want to uh, leave anything out, because there's a lot uh, that people object to here. So, so just so we don't have to leave anything out, we're actually going to discuss nothing except the objections to God's omniscience in our next lesson. So I am looking forward to that. I wish we could do that today, but believe me, it would take uh, more than the three to four minutes that we've got left in this lesson. So uh, 
we will spend an entire lesson next week covering the objections to God's omniscience. So, anyway, if you guys have any questions, of course, you can always email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. You might not want to email any objections about God's omniscience yet. I might be covering that next week, but if you want to make sure uh, that that that, uh, question gets addressed, go ahead and email me, cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, and, uh, you know, I'll try to cover as many of the objections to this as I possibly can in our allotted time next week. So anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this is a blessing to you guys. I hope you understand what we're talking about here and why this is such an important attribute. So anyway, I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.